0: To another episode of Bringing Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion, and I'm a service designer and the founder of This Is HCD and the CEO of This Is Doing.com, where we provide live online design and innovation classes, providing training for people within the design and change making space. We also have our new Doing Design Festival series with the next event on June the 18th with the theme of Doing Design Online, which is something very much applicable to the world that we're in at the moment. So for more information, see the Doing Design in this episode, I speak with the brilliant, the lovely Kellyanne McCurcher, author of Beyond Sticky Notes and a wonderful designer to boot. In this episode, we speak about designing at people and what this actually means. We speak about ways for teams and designers to help self-identify between designing at people and designing for people. We look at what this means whilst balancing designing with people and if this is the goal that we should be aiming for. As a small caveat, whilst recording this, you may hear some seagulls in the distance, and I apologise, but a family of gulls has moved in on my roof and it's making for lots of fun and games on all my Zoom calls at the moment. Anyway, let's get straight into it. Kellyanne McKercher, a very warm welcome to Bringing Design Closer. How are you?
1: I'm good, Jerry. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: I'm delighted to have you here. Tell us where you're coming from today, Kelly.
1: I'm in Sydney, Australia, on unceded Wango and Gadigal country.
0: Love it, love it. Obviously, you know, I'm from Australia as well, technically. I love and have lived there for such a long time. And we've been connecting for the last couple of months anyway, definitely, over your wonderful book, Beyond Sticky Notes, which is, how long has that been out? Six months, is it? Yeah, thereabouts,
1: maybe a little bit longer.
0: Six, Six or nine months. And it's doing really well, by well is how I determine it, because I see people talking about it on LinkedIn all the time and on Twitter and Anyone that I've recommended the book to has definitely come back to me and said, thanks very much for that recommendation. It's a a fantastic book. Maybe, how how do you describe the book to people?
1: Yeah, I guess I describe the book as an anecdote to the the speedy ways of design (laughs) that we've all grown really used to. I guess it's Mm. an anecdote to processes that sort of promise to be transformational in some way but are really just a sprint to the end where we have a product a service, Mm. but we don't really have enduring change and we don't really have any change in relationship between organizations that provide services and the people who receive said services. Mm.
0: And was this book based on personal experience of designing for, for those kind of businesses or organizations?
1: Yeah, there's, (laughs) there's a lot of, stories anonymized stories that go into Mm. the book from the last sort of decade or so and I guess many of them come out of very well-intentioned processes and organizations Mm. who perhaps have a sense that they sort of want to do something a bit radical but has sort of fallen over into what might be called feeble incrementalism (laughs) and sort of often through no fault of the organization but through the fault of perhaps the assumption that just doing something in a fun or unusual or different or novel way is somehow going to be better and more enduring and enough than what we were doing before
0: yeah it's going to be somehow radical in their worlds which is a brilliant segue into what we're going to speak about today we're going to talk about designing at people which is something that I've got my own perspective on, but I'm I'm so excited to hear about your own perspective on what that means. So talk to me a little bit more around what you understand designing at people to mean and where, where did this idea come from?
1: Yeah. And look, it's definitely not my idea. A great many people hmm. talk about designing at. Yeah. I think designing at is born out of the assumption that we, know enough about other people's lives to make decisions for them and on behalf of them. I think it's born out of sometimes stories about not having enough time or not having enough possibility and having too many constraints to meaningfully engage anyone in anything. And sometimes designing it falls out of crisis as well, where we do have to make decisions quickly. But when that crisis moment falls away, we might still be designing at mm. and still designing based on our assumptions about other people's lives. I think there's a great many industries that are are and continue to be stuck in designing at. There are some that have moved into designing for. The way yeah. I would sort of differentiate that is that is where we might start using human-centered design, user-centered design, patient-centered design. These are all I guess attempts to listen to people and to center their needs and expectations in the middle of the design process, but they are still processes in which we gather people's needs and then make decisions ourselves about what we will and won't listen to as and through that feedback.
0: I think most people listen to the podcast will have read or will have a decent understanding of what designing for people means. Like, so they're, they follow a, a typical design process of whatever, double diamond, triple diamond, whatever you want to use to help ensure that the product or service is going to meet the needs of the people. So I guess what I'm keen to understand a little bit more around is where does this come from? I mean, teams around the world commit to work, albeit remotely at the moment, and very few of them kind of go, do you know what? I'm a bit tired of doing this whole designing for thing. I feel like just doing designing at people at the moment for a couple of weeks. What do you think folks? And then I like get goes, "Yeah, yeah, me too." So where does this come from? Like what what is holding the work back from always being designing for?
1: Look, I think we have to zoom out a little bit on mm. that one and consider the types of incentives and disincentives that exist in organizations and systems and I think some of us, and I would be one of these people, has this really pesky internal dialogue that's constantly going about why do I get to make these decisions and why are there entire groups and of people and entire experiences that are never heard in product and service kind of processes. I suspect that there's, in the minds of of some folks as they're designing not necessarily those pesky voices of urgency, particularly if we're not coming from some kind of minority position, if we're sort mm. of a person that generally benefits from the ways things are, maybe we don't have any sort of internal urgency around that being different and around designing for being the bare minimum and designing with yeah. being more of an aspiration. I guess we're also – we have both real and perceived timeframes and deadlines with which to deliver a product, a service, a system. Mm. And it's just not always convenient (laughs) to kind of engage as deeply as we would like to, but also to hear things that mean that we have in fact gone down the wrong path. I mean, how inconvenient is that? To know that you've gone down the wrong path and to either have to choose not to listen and do that willingly, or to sort of say, well, actually, you know, we're two months in, but let's start again.
0: There's a few things there that, that could potentially, I'd say, derail the direction, and it could be mm. inexperienced practitioners, or it could be heavy business objectives trouncing and derailing the train in the direction that that's needed. Like so, business kind of objectives and business criteria metrics need to be hit in order for the project to be released and succeed. So. Which which do you think it is in in that sense is is it anything or maybe it's even the quality of the research so like the the raw data that's being captured is not deriving enough strength and conviction for the for the teams to lean on it and the business to form an alignment behind them, or maybe it's just leadership just generally kind of going, nah, I've got my vision, I want to match the research. To my strategy document that I created five years, and it's it's going to be within my term of of leadership. You're going to fall into the line, and the research is what I hear, and this is what I want you to do. So the, the, these are the kind of things that I I hear on a on a regular enough basis that how, how teams are want to go ahead and design for, but tend to be sometimes just being able to do design at.
1: I mean, I think it's probably all of those things, but I think it's also that. We still don't necessarily have the voice of design at a very senior strategic level in organizations where when we're sitting down to decide on operational priorities or strategic priorities or we're talking mm. about in what direction a project's going to travel in what time frame bound by what kinds of governance, etc. I guess the dominant logic that we still have is one of project management and one of sort of delivering things and delivering project plans and ticking off milestones. I wouldn't suggest that quite yet that the dominant logic is one of a really sort of deep and sincere curiosity, even when curiosity is inconvenient. To a project plan or a time frame. And I guess in those more senior level conversations is where we need to be discussing things like, you know, might we be pushing that product down a pathway of designing at when there is really a potential to design for, or even with, but that's gonna require a different set of organizational conditions to allow mm. that to thrive on this kind of alternative trajectory if we're not having some of those conversations, then what ends up getting to a product team or a service design team is something that is really full of constraints and something that I'm sure individuals do their best to deliver on, but isn't exactly set up for being particularly generative or having many alternative futures that can be explored.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more around what is a, a designing ass process looks like okay so we, we've both got personal and professional experiences and what that might look like but i'd be keen to hear your your thoughts on how the listeners here can self-identify because you know 95 percent of the people listening will probably be like well i'm designing for people every day in my life <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about but let's put some identifying factors out there that might help the listeners kind of go actually maybe we're not designing for Maybe we're doing designing art. So how would you describe it to people?
1: So designing is my preferences and my individual insights as a designer are put Mm. at the forefront of the design process. And what I mean by that is I am the person that dreams up every part of the design process I dream up discovery I probably dream up the alternatives of what's being designed I probably dream up the prototypes and I probably write into being (laughs) the product the service the specifications and it is possible to design from a desk right it's Mm. possible to design entirely Without talking to anyone who has first hand experience of having to deliver the thing or having to receive the thing, or we might mm. do that in a way that's very transactional and narrow and more about validating our assumptions and our direction, yeah. then it is genuinely like finding alternative directions mm. I think to design for Yes, we might still be guiding the process, so we're still kind of the captain of the ship, so to say. But at every point, every transition through the design process, there is a, a sincere and genuine engagement with people's views and experiences and needs and expectations and desires, be they the people receiving the thing or delivering the thing. I guess for me in my world though, designing for, is not enough either and really Mm. the goal is is designing with With, or making decisions with people who have to live with the consequences of Mm. our design decisions which should really be their design decisions
0: yeah we were speaking before around this and forgive me folks for saying this but this level of obnoxiousness that exists within design where an organization can come together and they can they can follow the books to a t to a word The processes will be adhered to, like they've ethically challenged themselves. But then the the person that's going to use the product and service are like, we're sitting in the corner. We don't really want that. We don't really need that. And if every organization goes ahead and follows those same kind of processes, what does that look like in their world? It doesn't really, it doesn't lean on design being a successful mechanism for, for generating value for the people that are actually going to use these products and services. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, am I on point or am I am I way off in those thoughts?
1: I think for me the elephant in the room is that I don't know if the world needs more products or services and I don't yeah. know if people even want services. I mean, I, I think if you would speak to most people particularly in in more social types of things, they're not lying awake at night dreaming of services more better different services what they might be dreaming of is belonging and connection and actually not even being a person who has to Mm. engage with services or you know a person that has many services in their lives so yes I think sometimes there's this impulse to just invent new things or do new things to follow a design process and doing that without questioning if if we're even needed at the first place And perhaps there also needs to be a role for design, you know, to facilitate stopping doing things yeah, (laughs) or kind of asking questions about why is it that we want to service people so much or why is Mm. it that we need to create so many services and so many products and so many apps and so many websites when we all live such noisy, busy lives.
0: Absolutely. It was only the other day that I was working here and I I obviously – I'm deeply connected with everything socially. And and when I mean socially, I mean social media and stuff. And the volume of emails that I get towards the weekend is just massively overwhelming. And it's, you know, it's like having, you know, relationships with hundreds of people and they're all crying out for attention. And they're like, you know, open me, click on me, sign up for me, get a deal. And I'm like, oh. It's just become unobtainable, and it, it cannot get any worse, really, at the moment, from, from what I can see. And I use an awful lot of services out there at the moment to try and help prevent that. <coughs> Sorry for the cough, folks. I'm still getting over COVID. But it's very kind of noisy out there at the moment, so you're right. But being able to say no within an organization, is it's almost unheard of. Like if the leadership come down and say... We've got this idea. We've we've fired up a new project. We need to hire five new UX people and two service designers. Because we want to make sure that it's going to be within the organizational system. We want to make sure that's been considered and integrated. And then for the program lead to turn around and gonna go, No, I'm not doing that. I think they would just kind of go, okay, well, we'll get another program lead. It's very hard to challenge those things. So what, what what could we do to to improve that conversation?
1: I think it is hard, but I think there's all of these small gaps that are possible through a particular style of working and encouraging people to lean hmm. into, like the curiosity that that we all naturally have. So, if, as an example, I've been part of lots of processes where someone's come along and said, "You know, we've got these great ideas. We just want to test them out with a target audience, and you know, get them get them to market quickly." and my invitation there is to say absolutely i can facilitate for you a process by which we test those things genuinely and rigorously but are you also open to be surprised at least a little bit by something else that emerges through that process mm. and i think it's i do genuinely think it's possible that we can support our our colleagues our clients each other to have some some gaps in which we get to ask different types of questions and see that there be might be different kinds of solutions. Mm. And I have seen a number of times where people may not change their overall direction, but they might change direction enough to find something that's even more valuable. And I think that's the the quality of a really robust design process, be it discovery or rapid prototyping or, you know, all these great tools that we've got at our disposal.
0: So, I'm reflecting on what you said there, and I completely agree because I can I can probably count a one or two hands maybe instances where I've had that experience of where I've gone out and I've conducted research and I've even used kind of prototypes to generate kind of insights and is is this kind of the direction and coming back to the business and saying you won't believe this but sense making has shown that like this is something that definitely should not be created. And I remember one instance where a leadership member was in the corner of the room and they were like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to tell my boss? You know, what am I going to tell them like that? that This is my next year's work and I'm going to tell them we're not going to do it. And I go, you go back to tell them you're going to save them $5 million because you're going to, the risk there is you're going to spend $5 million on something that people don't want and most definitely do not need. So it's a reframing of that problem and being able to go back and say, you don't need this, but." we actually probably probably could do with integrating these two other services together and we could create something more meaningful so reusing what we currently have within the system because it's very rare that they don't exist already you know what i mean like we're.
1: i think this is a shift of gaze though for design which is that mm. there are these impulses and i think they're kind of silicon valley-esque impulses to just do a new thing all the time but yeah, As you've just said, I really think often the value is in saying, can we remix what we're already yeah. doing? Can we join things up across systems yeah. for greater impact, greater resonance? Because I don't know a lot of organizations that have a huge amount of money to waste on doing something that no one's going to use and no one yeah. wants. So I think the reframing into that future liability of saying, let's invest a little bit now (laughs) to hopefully save quite a lot in taking the wrong direction and and de-risk, really.
0: So is is it a case for research and design, and I use that word interchangeably, to create a closer connection with organizational strategy to to really kind of help align those objectives?
1: I think so. I I think there's a few threads that are... Hmm have gotten out of the fray, if you like. And and one of them is that we don't always understand the gap between what we want to deliver to people and what they yeah. want from us. So I think there is something about design being something that we can use to measure that gap between what we want to do and what people want us to do. I think the other one, though, is to really bring the voice of the frontline into a strategic Level of conversation or into an executive level of conversation, because yeah. in the ways that we've often not understood what citizens will want or need, we're also often not understanding what frontline staff want to need, experience, and the interdependency between how citizens experience services and how frontline workers deliver those services.
0: But there are two different actors within the system, correct?
1: They are different, but they're so interdependent in the ways in which it all mingles at this kind of front line. And I guess one of the things that I've seen be the overzealousness of design in maybe the last five years is when we go so hard on user-centered design and don't really factor in the dignity of frontline workers. What we often produce is the situation in which frontline workers can't deliver it's unsafe for them to deliver it's Mm. burdensome for them to deliver and that ultimately then undermines this really carefully produced experience that we've tried to design whilst missing out an entire group of people's needs and and experiences and constraints and hopes I mean
0: again I'm filling in the gaps here but as you're speaking there and I see teams designing digital services to help kind of design out many of those human experiences that are so, so uh, important to the delivery of a service generally. Like it's not about making you know humans redundant. I'm referencing here a personal case of where my father passed on in January and I just saw firsthand the incredible power and nature of human interaction to support through something like that. And all the workarounds, the service workarounds that just existed enabling my siblings who lived abroad to be able to connect at at those moments. They were like using their own personal phones and they were using all these different things. Probably there aren't, you know, part of guidelines or probably legislation says you're not allowed to do those things. But if, if a team was to design around that experience, typically it would be a digital experience and you could connect through all these different things. But really all I wanted at that stage was a nurse to be beside the bed, to hold our hands, to say everything is okay. And I, the last thing I wanted, in that that moment was technology anywhere near us. And it's those fundamental pieces that really distinguish us as human beings that often just get lost in, even in the research, like in the context, it's obnoxious for us to feel that we could actually be involved or be wanted in those moments.
1: And I think this is where a digital first approach has taken us away from ourselves because to hmm. start as if digital is going to be a magic bullet transformation for kind of all of our woes yeah. is just naive and it also it's it's not a helpful question. I mean if our question was how do we make the most of human connection and human intelligence alongside machine intelligence – it's a really different question than sort of just starting by saying, well, we need to digitize everything. I mean, I just, yeah. I think this kind of fixation with digitizing as the main question, say something about our values and it's questionable about whether there's a value that underpins that that is really about dignity and connection. Yeah. And if we're not coming back to that, I'm, I'm not sure we can call that good design.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. You mentioned there about designing with. OK, so designing with people. And your book is obviously about co-design, so it covers the mindsets, the methods. There's probably another M in there somewhere, but talk to me a little bit more around designing with. So if organis- if people listening to this podcast are saying, maybe we're doing some stuff that are designing at people. OK, that's most likely going to be every team on this planet. You know, we have organizational requirements and metrics and business objectives to, to adhere to, and it's as important in some instances to to really make sure that they're being hit for people to have the lights on and businesses to succeed. But designing with people is a different approach for designing for people, which I think over the last 15, 20 years, most people have been designing for people. Walk me through what designing with looks like in your eyes.
1: So if we just start on designing for, and we name this one as community as participants. So, you know, the the typical thing I guess Mm -hmm. in designing for is we're inviting people into our research. We might pay them for their time and they're on their way. That might be the, the first and last time we ever see that person. In a designing with process, community are partners. So we are partnering directly with community who have the lived or living experience of whatever it is that we're doing, staff or frontline professionals, and perhaps creatives and provocateurs. And I guess this is a a relational or reciprocal process in which as a team or as a group of people who all care about something together, but in different ways, we are moving all the way through the design process together. So we are co-planning we are co-discovering, we are co-designing, we are co-delivering and we're co-evaluating. And I guess as we do that co-power, we're co-deciding as well. So in a a user-centred design process, what I would typically do is say, have a conversation with you, Jerry, you tell me what your needs are, I go back to my office and I decide how the design is going to be changed. In a co-design process, we decide that together it's negotiated with community, with frontline yeah. staff, with creatives, provocateurs. So we we are in it together, I guess, in a way that we're not if we hold all of that decision-making. Mm. And I guess then we're also using different methods because we might be doing more of a participatory analysis approach where we've yeah. gone and trained people as community insight gatherers, for example. So I'm not going out and speaking to community I might train a group of twenty or thirty people to go out and speak to others and their natural network. They come back and we do some kind of analysis jam together. Okay. To really have a think about what was heard.
0: You mentioned there about the decision making process, right? And that as a as a thing to understand within how design projects get initiated and get actioned is something that I'm at the moment I'm really interested in. Okay. So within designing with I think there's something really interesting in in how decisions are made with other people who might not be part of your organization and it's the relinquishing of power. So can you talk to me a little bit more around the relationship of power and the decision-making process within the co-design world?
1: So I think the first thing to say here is that not everything can be co-decided, right? There are going to be some things organizationally, legally, constitutionally, that have Mm -hmm. to have some kind of other decision-making process. So I think one of the things that we're co-defining early in a co-design process is to say, well, where is the line? What will we decide Hmm. together? And where are our requirements to take certain types of decisions out and into different forums? And how will we then kind of receive those decisions back and integrate them with what we're deciding I think along each phase of the design process there's things in scope of what we're co-deciding so I guess when we're starting a design process what we're co-deciding is what is the the object and reason for doing the research I mean who benefits what are we asking of whom and what kinds of ways and then I guess at the end of a discovery process we're asking well who gets to tell the stories and you know Mm -hmm. might people actually tell their own stories rather than creating an abstraction into a persona or a journey map or you know having a designer stand at the front of the room and tell tell someone's story that they have not lived or felt or (laughs) meaningfully Mm -hmm. experienced in any kind of way and then I guess as we get closer and closer to delivery our decisions are are ramping up in terms of what is it That we're going to change what is it that's going to be implemented what is it that we want to pitch to be funded through a particular mechanism and again even through that process there may be things that need to go into particular decision making processes around their their safety or their effectiveness that are things that perhaps a community member may not be able to make a decision on but i think having a conversation about what is going to be co-decided and how we will co-decide it is part of a, a designing with process not a designing at or for
0: yeah i mean the designing designing at people and designing for people probably includes some elements that the rationale of the decision making and the the business objectives are are usually kind of Hidden from view within the service, so it's not a case of like, well, why am I doing this? Oh, I'm doing this because, you know, I'm I'm getting my task done, I'm getting my job done, whatever it is you want to say. But in the background, the business is like, ooh, yummy, yummy, yummy. I'm getting more data, and I'm getting more things and engagement, and yummy, yummy, yummy. Like someone else is going to be getting that third-party data, but we don't tell you about it. It's stuck in our T's and C's. We're designing with that it seems to be a completely different mind shift, really, if you will, and. I can easily see why you said there that it's not a case of every case being possible to do designing with, and it seems to lend itself closer towards social design, working within governments or local councils and stuff where there are wonderful people all around the world that want to create these things that meet the needs of their the people in society. Well,
1: I think it's also that we we deserve that as citizens to have an active role in the decisions that are shaping our lives and our access Hmm. or lack of access. I think that in designing with one of the things that I would usually do is co-create some kind of decision-making criteria where, you know, for example, if we're looking at a set of ideas that together we create a design criteria of, well, how will we assess the quality of these ideas? And what that looks like? Usually, it I guess, in the days of real life, some kind yeah. of large poster on the wall that sort of has a list of criteria that are sort of both objectives that matter to businesses and organizations mm. as well as objectives that matter to families and communities. And we're trying to not homogenize all of that, but marry that up in some way. And then we might do some kind of sort of participatory way of assessing across giant matrixes. How do our ideas align or sit inside of some of these criteria that we've okay. co-defined?
0: And Kelly, is is that in isolation of the 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 bigger, the zoomed out organizational purpose and vision, or is that at a, at a very project level? Because say if you're working for and I mean this not in a bad way but if you're working for a financial services business and their vision is like connecting people with their with services to help them make more money whereas the project team within you know they're they're kind of working on their own purpose and vision there could be a disconnect between those two and I see a relationship and interdependencies on those things sometimes so am I right in saying that
1: I think that's something we have to rumble with and that is also the reason for in a co-design team there has to be a sponsor there there has to be someone senior inside the organization that can make a call to say yes I do have a comfort that this takes a different direction than the kind Mm. of broad stated aim of the organization or that senior sponsor might say I do feel like this is coherent with that but the language we're going to use for this particular project is going to really mean something to the people who are involved in it, which the kind of high level statements may mm. not.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting. Like Kelly, we're coming towards the end of this this podcast episode. I, I want to thank you for, for talking about this stuff because it's, it's too often it's not really spoken about enough. I mean, it's kind of hard for people to think that maybe all my hard work... We might be contributing to kind of things that we don't want to contribute our our kind of lives to. So thanks for for taking the time to, to chat about these things. If people want to reach out to you, how is the best way to do it? And maybe throw a shout out to your, your book as well there.
1: Yeah, so folks can find me at notes.com or... If you want to add me on LinkedIn, happy for a chat. I'm on Twitter at KellyAnagram. There are things that I've already said and written and done <laughs> that yeah. folks might want to have a listen to or read, but also really happy yeah. to meet new people and hear about new kinds of challenges. And I definitely don't know about all design challenges, but I have had my fair share of them over the years. Yeah.
0: And Kelly, you know I'm a huge fan of your work, a huge fan of you, and the great news is that you're going to be doing some episodes on this is 8CD on some really interesting topics, some of them yet to be defined, but I just want a big shout out there for people who enjoy this episode. There's going to be more of this to come, which is which is great news for the this is City community hopefully gets our thoughts and our our creative juices flowing so Kelly i'm I'm excited about those. Do you have any ideas on when you might be able to do those episodes?
1: Yeah, I think over the next couple of months, we'll have a conversation about where design meets health, where design meets health care, where design meets health systems, and hopefully bring along some friends from around the world who are also operating in this spot of designing inside of or alongside health and health systems.
0: Brilliant. Kelly, thanks so much for your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisis8cd.com, where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes, with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishatecd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.